Greetings, folks, and welcome to episode 35 of the Far Beyond Metal podcast. I'm your host and spirit guide on this metal journey, Daniel Cordova. This is a special episode for the show for a few reasons. For one, after about three years of badgering several managers and PR folks, I was finally able to corner Devin Townsend and have him on the show. I've been trying to get him on the show since before the show launched, actually, and scheduling just never worked out. Two, this completes my attempt to get every member of the classic Strapping Young Lad lineup on the show. I didn't exactly set out to do it at launch, but once Jed and Gene were on, it seemed really doable. And finally, as the title of the show might suggest, Devin is a hero of mine and has been for a long time. I've interviewed him for a few different other outlets, but Far Beyond Metal is 100% my project, so having him on my show was a big deal for me. So because of these reasons, I've decided to vote this entire episode to Mr. Townsend, who is about to release what could be the final chapter of the Devin Townsend Project in the Ocean Machine Live at the Ancient Roman Theater Plovdiv, which drops July 6th via Inside Out Records. The live record includes two full sets. The first is a by-request set covering Dev's entire solo career that features the band playing alongside an orchestra and a choir. The second is a front-to-back performance of the Ocean Machine record. I'm going to be playing some clips from that throughout this entire interview. So to kick off our chat, here's some of one of my favorite tracks by Devin from the Ocean Machine half of the new live record. Here is Bastard. Yes, I can. Can you hear me? Yeah, how you doing, buddy? Splendid. I'm, how are you? I am quite well. Awesome. Have we, have we talked before? We've talked before, right? Yeah, it's been forever, but I've talked to you on Metal Injection, Metal Insider, my college thing. It's, yeah. All right. Good, man. It's yeah. good to talk to you. How's things been? Things are good. I've since launched my own DLE, and it's called Far Beyond Metal, and it's all your fault. So. <laughs> well, I mean, I think we passed down the fault, to be honest. I don't think I... Uh, did anything other than inherit that myself so uh <laughs> we'll just uh, pay it forward right well i appreciate you paying it forward and uh no problem and uh you were actually helpful in me getting the official go-ahead to call this thing far Bay metal from uh century media so thanks again for that i'll <laughs> say that great. up top thanks thanks, to the, man. thanks to the magic of twitter all right so uh shall we go ahead and get going then please do you're the first interview i've done in many months oh i feel special oh shit what could you want to talk about now um well i think more than what i want to talk about it's just it's going to be an exercise in me figuring out the most diplomatic ways to answer things so let's just take it from there sounds good i'll uh i'll respect the sea legs uh so (laughs) were you excited to revisit some of your uh material with an orchestra or as part of you like great we get to play deadhead again Yeah, so I was excited about it, and what I found really interesting um, about that experience is is prior to it, I think I had assumed that you could just drop an orchestra on anything and it would work, 
but by doing that, I realized that I've got very little sonic real estate left available on what I write in the first place. And trying to crowbar an orchestra onto that, specifically if the parameters of which included the conductor insisting on writing his own thing, um, was a great learning experience. And it ultimately worked, but now when I'm doing the Empath record and the Moth and all these things, it was really a, a good uh, learning experience for me to see how technically an orchestra can fit with this stuff and how it can't. And uh, why did you only do the orchestra for the by request set? Why not also Ocean Machine? It's a good question. Thank you. I, uh, I don't know if it ever came up, to be honest. I think that uh, the thought process, for me at least, was that album was such a uh, pinnacle in my creative development that I think for the opportunity to sort of celebrate it with Squid there and everything... I didn't necessarily want to reinvent it as much as just do it justice, right? And uh, from what I understood, the Ocean Machine album was picked via social media. Like I know Ryan put out something for it. Um, would that have been your pick to cover uh, front, or to rather play front to back, or did you have something you would have preferred? No, I think the Ocean Machine thing has been looming for a long time. You know, I think that the social media aspect of what was chosen for the Plovdiv performance was much more about the first set rather than ocean machine because ocean machine was uh, in its entirety is an idea that has been discussed for many years prior and so that just uh it just seemed like the logical thing to do to be honest and i know it was the 20th anniversary last year of the album but i just finished this chapter in your book where you're talking about ocean machine as just sort of daunting task was it weird to approach it now 20 years later no, it wasn't weird. It was actually creatively really interesting for a number of reasons. Like, first off, by relearning the material, things that I would never think of doing now, I could get away with then because it was novel still. You know, like the echo and the suspended chords and the those sorts of mid-tempo sort of broad arrangements were things now, are things now that I really have to sort of um, find an angle for it to be interesting still. Whereas back then, just just sort of the most basic of the basic versions of that sort of archetype was good enough, you know? And, and the, and the um, energy that went with, with my enthusiasm for it, like really drove it home in a way that I couldn't do now. Like if I wrote those type of songs now, they just, I wouldn't, it wouldn't have had the same intensity. So it was interesting to realize that and also on a lyrical point of view i realized through ocean machine how much i've strayed in a lot of ways from being literal i think over the past 10 years for whatever reason maybe it's fear or or children or or any number of experiences that i've gone through with dtp or strapping or ziltoid or any of that that has sort of changed my desire to be direct I realized by learning the, the Ocean Machine lyrics again that I really missed that. I really missed that um, pointedness that came with that era for me where it was, I'm singing about this, therefore, how do I feel about that? As opposed to sort of clouding everything with, with metaphor, which is a tendency that I think I established over the last decade that I'm hoping by doing Ocean Machine will have changed a bit. 
Uh, I once heard Beck say that he uh, feels like the song Loser, the song that made him famous, is so far back in his life that it feels like when he plays it every night, he's covering somebody else. Is this something you can relate to with regards to Ocean Machine or any of your older material? No, not really. I mean, I often say that what I do has not changed other than the aesthetics of it since the beginning. Like, my objectives musically are exactly the same. And the way that they are interpreted with Ocean Machine or Strapping or Terrier or Casualties or, or any number of projects, it's a different face on the exact same intention. So, so no, I don't feel like I'm covering other people's songs. It's just I'm revisiting a younger version of the same thing that I do. Um, on a similar topic, you've, you're no stranger to re-release, like redoing your songs. You've done Kingdom, you've done Hyperdrive. Uh, most recently on the live album, Ohm appears again, and I believe this is the third version I've heard released. What keeps you coming back to Ohm? <laughs> I didn't get it right. I still have <laughs> right. I mean, you know, I think the benefit and the drawback of the way that I function artistically is I'm driven by an internal sense of vision and that makes it very difficult um, uh, collaboratively it makes it very difficult in terms of um, understanding my motivations while they're happening because I'm just drawn towards uh, a certain hue rather than you know just sort of haphazardly writing and it also makes it very much the case that often I'll do something and specifically things from years back when I didn't have the same technical acumen that I do now I listen back to it and I was like that's still not right it captures maybe in a vague sense the emotional um, component that I was trying to achieve but either technically or sonically or performance wise it's still not right so I've got nothing uh, invested in not taking a kick at the can again, I guess. That was some of the aforementioned ohm from the by request portion of the Ocean Machine live at Ancient Roman Theater Plovdiv live album. That's pretty cool because I, I do enjoy the uh, reapproach of Kingdom because uh, Physicist kind of sounds weird in comparison to some of your material, but oh um, yeah, I, dude. I think it's, it. it's still a great album. Um, I think that the you see the thing that and I appreciate it, but I think the thing that makes it a decent album is the fact that the music is not necessarily. I always have been of the mindset that 
musicians don't they're not responsible for the music as much as just sort of hearing it and interpreting it so when i listen back to kingdom and when i listen back to physicist in general i think the songs are really strong but i just didn't do it well at the time so i think what it managed to capture at the time was the frame of mind i was in which was a really depressed ugly sort of period of my life but you know, you can only coast so far on the fact that you accurately interpreted a period of your life when it comes to the fact that although the period of your life is there, the music just didn't quite hit the mark. So, you know, I'll redo I'll redo everything eventually if I have time and resource, right? <laughs> um, like I said, I, I've been reading your book, and there's a line in there that kind of fucked me up, I'm not going to lie. It was because I'm in a job I'm not super stoked about, but I'm really good at it. And the line essentially is, what's worse than being successful at the wrong thing? Right. Is, uh, is that kind of what led your decision to disband DTP for now and focus on this new series of albums differently? Very much. Absolutely. And it's a very hard um, thing to be... Uh, it, there's there's no black or white with it and because I'm driven by this sort of internal sense of vision I have to follow how that changes for one but also to where it leads um, in terms of performances in terms of um, musical uh, capabilities etc 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 but Really, it came down to for me. It's 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 too expensive, and if after ten years of touring, I need to draw back and do some um, uh, self analysis and some sort of artistic soul searching to try and quantify all that information that I've taken in. Yet during that time, there's fifteen grand a month that has to go into just keeping the boat afloat what eventually happens is you can't um process it you can't do your uh artistic uh um trajectory without the sort of background noise of obligation right and so it's not necessarily that what i was doing with dtp was the wrong thing but I think every band has a shelf life. At least it does for me. I mean, I get to a certain point where I'm like, okay, what I feel I've needed to say with this particular period of my life, I've said. And in order to move forward, you've got to sometimes make these hard decisions. And, and if I hadn't, the next step for DTP would have been more success. But that would also have locked me into it. So, yes, you know, to answer your question long-windedly, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly got an element of, of, of that. And in the same way that Strapping did, I saw the writing on the wall for Strapping, too. I was like, wow, if this becomes me, I'm not going to be able to sustain this. And I think what I've learned through this process of, of disbanding DTP as well is that the recidivism of all these um, decisions that I've made in the past, I keep coming around. Like, you know, you choose 
the social situation over maybe what you require on an artistic level and that leads you to these same situations every time so i'm hoping that this next sort of um reinvention of who i am and what i'm doing creatively takes that into consideration and i don't do that again you know and uh how are the new albums coming empath and moth and i believe there's two others that you mentioned at one point via twitter yeah Man, I write from 7 a.m. until 4 a.m., basically. I just write consistently. And the process for me, as I had mentioned earlier, because it's based on this internal sense of trying to identify and articulate this hue rather than something specific, every time it's the same, man, I basically plow through immense heaps of ideas just huge amounts of music and it's not because all that music needs to come out but rather by getting rid of all these ideas the good ideas start to surface and then eventually you're able to really be clear about where you're at for yourself and i'm just at the point now where the identity of of the next record is starting to present itself but man what has had to happen to sort of get to the point where that stuff's presenting itself is I've just recorded dozens and dozens and dozens of songs. I'm often frustrated that, that I, I, I can't see the forest for the trees, but I, I just can't, you know what I mean? Like, like some people have this, I, at least I get the impression that some musicians wake up in the morning and they're like, I have this song in my head and it's going to go like this. And then they go in and do it. And, Bob's your uncle but for me I wake up and I'm like I have a feeling and I can't identify what that feeling is because that's always been a thing with me as a person but I've just gotta pick away at all these musical ideas in hopes that one of them will resonate with that feeling and then I follow that path right it's a fucking nightmare <laughs> <laughs> And uh, how far off do you think uh, these seeing the light of day is? Uh, well, it comes out in March. Oh, shit. So I start, I start recording in September. I mean, I've been recording, but I actually do the, the recording recording in September. I have to deliver it by November. Um, I've got artwork on the way. I've got 30 songs of which I've, I'm trying to decide whether or not it's just 10 or if it's a double record or, you know, should it be all avant-garde should it be a third commercial should it be orchestral to add as to act as a bridge towards the moth as well but you know i've given myself an internal deadline i've got about another month of fucking around with it before i'm able to say okay right now these are the songs and you start in september
that was failure. And I'm sure you're well aware that some of the chats you're having today and through your, your press cycle are going to generate metal news. Um, everything you do seems to create some sort of waves in the metal world. Do you, uh, do you ever find yourself regretting saying something and then being forced to use that regret as motivation? Absolutely. Oh, my God. I mean, years ago, I used to live with Borovoy, who runs Blabbermouth. And I know Bori well, and I really like him. But um, if there's anything that, um, not just his site, but just sites in general that do metal news has taught me is that you got to be accountable for these things, right? So if I say something stupid, it's it's a good learning experience for me to be able to own that in a way. And it's also good for me because it forces me to be articulate with it, specifically with something that's fundamentally chaotic. Like my creative process is a fucking gong show, man. So it's easy for me just to ramble about it and say a bunch of crazy things and then it just comes across as completely um you know erratic but that you know it's after a while it's like you get a reputation for being that as well so the accountability that has come with with realizing that you do and often do and often have said stupid things forces me to be more articulate about something that's fundamentally chaotic and i think that's ultimately helpful um at the end of z2 there's an ominous voice saying to be continued how's z3 coming well um it's going to come out as a video game oh cool because, <laughs> yeah so basically i went to sweden and we're doing an app that's basically a side scroll um kind of uh video game that that has you know i got to choose the style like that the kind of retro thing i'm not into they got the sort of eight bit video games but not being a video game fan necessarily or a player at least avidly i got to sort of um make some decisions on it that appeal to me so it's more of a cartoon looking side scroller that you know has a, a an interesting theme and in order to make it creatively interesting for me and not just be a rehash, I managed to say, okay, well, let's do five new songs. And so basically the levels will function as you have to learn the song and then jump, I guess, to the rhythms. So it might start with something a little more straightforward and then by the end of it, it's just it's just bananas, right? And um, so that's how Z3 is coming. It's, it's an angle that, that makes it less formal because I couldn't sustain the interest for another record right now. It's just, you know, I mean, it's like the function of Ziltoid at the time uh, is not played out, but it doesn't hold the same kind of um, energy for me as it once did. But doing something like this is, is you know, it's novel, and I, and I really can get into that. Yeah, it was, one of my questions actually coming up is how much of your life has Ziltoid become, and is that strange? Oh, it hasn't become a lot. I mean, it was fun. And I think I think a lot of maybe what's get what gets misinterpreted about what I do is is that it's of fundamental massive significance to me when a lot of it's just kind of like a whim. You know, like wouldn't it be funny if and then and then you just do it. And that kind of um, nonchalance keeps my creative 
creative process like flourishing, right? Because it's not like he gets stuck in these these traps. In fact, one big lesson I learned with the Ziltoid thing is I got hired to do this weekly radio show for Team Rock where I did this Ziltoid radio thing. And it started off as great because I had free reign and I could just bag on other people's music and, you know, it was fun. But then when it became obligation, it was like, okay, now you have to deliver it. Every Wednesday, you have to do this stupid radio show. Then I just lost interest. And I think that plays into even why I chose to disband DTP or why I'm doing all these different things now is because without that novel sort of exciting aspect to things, when it becomes mundane, man, I just run out of things to say. You know what I mean? It's like you tour for 11 months and all the crap that goes along with it and the finances and the social engineering and all this sort of stuff. And at the end, they're like, okay, write another record. And I'm like, I got fuck all to say. You know, it's like, well, write a song about being in a bus. There you go. There's my sphere of, of um, influence right now. So, you know, in the same way that I learned that through Ziltoy Radio, I need to keep it moving in order to maintain the interest it's the same thing with with the band man i needed to step away from it and step away from the financial obligations and the fact that there's a lot of people depending on me to like deliver that to just be a little more selfish for a bit and just be like no i just want to see where i'm at and i want to accurately portray that that is respectable do you uh do you think you're done from the road oh no fuck no holy shit um <laughs> Yeah, in this industry, holy crap! I didn't no, think so. I, I'd ask. You can't, you can't. But also, that plays into okay. Well, how do you do it? I had a meeting this morning with, um, you know, uh, booking agents and management. And my biggest thing is, I've got basically thirty albums worth of material and new albums, and it's all different stuff. And what I really don't want to do is come out again and just be like, it's the same thing I was doing, but with different people. You know, that's like, not only does it seem like a waste of time, but it also seems disrespectful. So, so what do you do? So I think when it comes to live for the next um, phase of my career, what I'm starting to see is, is it's um, an assortment of things. So maybe it's less about a band and more about me playing the music in a bunch of different ways like maybe at some point it's an acoustic show maybe sometimes it's a one-man band maybe it's one at some point it's me with a bunch of musicians that are have got some sort of pedigree maybe one tour i hire some people who are in japan and i do a japanese run and maybe um you know there's there's a thing that came up where i play acoustic guitar with the orchestra in finland and and we you know what i mean but the bottom line is what interests me is as opposed to coming out again with just a group of different people and, and being like, here it is, version three. I like the idea of making live, um, you know, a little unpredictable, I guess, and a little, uh, a little uh, um, novel. At least that interests me. Cool. Uh, one thing being stateside that I was always jealous of is overseas getting casualties of cool shows. Uh, I would love to see something along those lines from me over here. 
But um, I'm going to go ahead and start winding down with a couple little things. Uh, this one's not so much a question, just more of a fact I learned recently. Uh, Tommy from Between the Barrett and Me would like his puppet that you have of him. So. Oh, really? Yeah. I, 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 asked, I think I know where it is. I asked him, I was like, do you know that Devin Townsend in his dungeon has a puppet of you still? And he's like, oh, man, I want that puppet. So uh, if you ever just want to freak him out on like a Christmas or something, send it to him in a box. I think it'd freak him out. Um, yeah. <laughs> I will. I think somewhere it exists still. So if it if it surfaces, I'll certainly do that. And finally, uh, the name of the show, like I said, is Far Beyond Metal, which is a Strapping Young Lad song. I've had the opportunity to ask the other guys about the song, but I want uh, I would like your take on the the history of the song Far Beyond Metal, and I guess what it means to you now, if anything. Well, yeah, it means it means things to me. Absolutely. I mean. I'm still in communication with those guys. You know what I mean? Like I talked to Gene last week, and I talked to Jed often, actually. And uh, Far Beyond Metal was a um, a track I had written for the City Record prior to getting together with those guys. And I think, um, what does it mean to me? Oh, it doesn't mean much to me now. I like it though. Uh, it was always kind of a, a light-hearted song and um even redoing that one with brocky on it and everything i mean i'll put it to you this way of the songs that i've written it's not one that i rank particularly highly in terms of my own um interest in it but i i certainly think it's cool for for me when i was coming up with my college radio show it wound up being like the perfect show name so that's just kind of what i always just attach to it's i like, get that man so it's got I get the perfect that. name. All right, well, thank yep. you so much for talking with me. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day. I know that press isn't your favorite thing, but I appreciate it, and we all do. So I appreciate um, I appreciate being able to do it, man. I mean, I think more than anything else, um, I love doing what I do so much that uh, not only is it a part of it, but it's a part of it that you need to do accurately, and if you do, it can actually help your process. So I'm into it. All right. Thank you. You have a good rest of your day, sir. You too, buddy. Bye. Cheers. Close us out, that was some of Life from the Ocean Machine portion of the new live album. Once again, Ocean Machine, live at the Ancient Roman Theater Plovdiv, drops July 6th via Inside Out Records. You can pre-order that from a variety of outlets, which you can find all over at heavydevy.com. That's H-E-V-Y-D-E-V-Y.com. I'd like to thank you for listening to the show. If you want to talk to me, you can do so at farbeyondmetaldan at gmail.com. I am on Twitter at Ovacord. The show is at underscore farbeyondmetal. And the show is on facebook.com slash farbeyondmetal. And, of course, the theme song is Far Beyond Metal by the band Strapping Young Lad from their album The New Black, courtesy of Century Media Records and Devin Townsend himself. Thank you for listening. A Catbox Production.
Uh, can you do me one more favor? Yeah, dude. The beginning of the show starts with a now seven-year-old introduction from you just saying, this is Devin Townsend, you're listening to Far Beyond Metal. Could you do one of those for me, but just say Far Beyond Metal podcast, please? All right. Ready? I'm ready. Hey, everybody. This is Devin Townsend, seven years later, and you are <laughs> listening to the Far Beyond Metal podcast. <laughs> 